are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Man, well, Merry Christmas. Good afternoon. It's good to see you. If you have a Bible, will you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9? Isaiah chapter 9. If you do not have a Bible with you or on your phone, there should be some in the seat back in front of you. If you do not know where Isaiah 9 is, it should be on page 573 of that Bible in front of you, unless you have one of the skinny ones, um, and then it's on page 536, okay? I want to acknowledge something real quick. Um, I know that typically when we gather on Sundays, we have uh, ministry available, childcare or in children's ministry rather for pre-K through fifth grade. And right now that's not the case. Those folks are in here with us. So if you are pre-K through fifth grade, you're usually over there. I want you to raise your hand for me. Raise your hand. All right. On the count of three, I want you to say to me, Merry Christmas. Ready? One, two, three. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Hey, we are glad that you're here with us. This is what we're about to do in God's word. This is not just for your parents. Okay. This is for all of us. And we're glad that you're in here with us. Uh, If you're a guest, let me say this, welcome, we're glad you're here. All I will say to you is I hope that this is not going to be the last time that you gather with us for worship. Isaiah chapter nine, I'm gonna start in verse one. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Verse six says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord to us tonight. Uh, For the last several weeks, we have been working through this passage and more specifically, what we just read in verse six, the prophet Isaiah prophesies four names or four titles about the coming Messiah. And this is not about four different people. This is the the prophet Isaiah drawing our attention to four different characteristics or of his, uh, his nature of who the Messiah would be and what he would ultimately come to accomplish. And we've said this several times in this series, but this prophecy was given 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. So the advantage that you and I have on this side of the manger and on this side of the cross, when we read this passage, we can know clearly who this is talking about, right? This will be the easiest question that I ask you all evening, right? Who is Isaiah 9 talking about? Jesus, that's right. And in these few verses, we can learn a lot about what we celebrate at Christmas. And honestly, what we celebrate every single time we come into this room is we see who Jesus is and what he has come to accomplish, the promised one who would come to redeem and restore what sin had broken. The first part of verse six, look with me, Isaiah chapter nine says this about the coming Messiah. For to us, a child is born. For to us, a child is born. This is about Christmas. This is about Bethlehem in the manger, what the Apostle John would say in his gospel, this is about the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. It shows us that Jesus is fully human, 
God, the all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal second person of the Trinity became a man. And church, what this means for us is that our God is not distant or inattentive, but that he understands the the experience of, of the difficulty and the challenges that you and I face in our lives. He understands it because he entered the mess in this sinful and broken world. For to us, a child is born. And then he says, to us, a son is given. The first part of this verse is about Jesus' humanity. The second part is about his deity. And notice the difference in wording here. The child is born, but the son is given. The son isn't born, he's given because the son has always been and will always be. Jesus never became God, he's always been God. Even before Bethlehem, before the manger, Jesus has eternally existed as the second person of the Trinity. Listen to what Moses says in Psalm 90. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, he says this, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. He goes on in Psalm 90 to compare the infiniteness of God to the finiteness of man and he refers to men as dust. He says we are but dust. And Then he says about God that a thousand years to the Lord is just like yesterday to you and me. Here's the point in all that. A trillion years ago, trillion, God was there. A trillion years from now, God will be there. And every moment, every millisecond in between those two points, God is rightly reigning and ruling in perfect sovereign control over every square inch of creation. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Church, when Isaiah says, to us a son is given, it means that Jesus is not only the one who sees and understands the difficulty and the brokenness of our circumstances because he's walked it, it also means that he, uh, he knows what to do about it. That in his infinite wisdom, from everlasting to everlasting, he knows what to do about it. And then Isaiah goes on to say this, the government shall be upon his shoulder. This word government It's not probably what you think when you hear the word government. It's not talking about the next election. It's not talking about four more years of anything, okay? The word government here, or translated government, is a Hebrew word that means rule or dominion. So what Isaiah is talking about is the future rule and reign of King Jesus. So he's saying a child will be born, a son will be given. He's not gonna stay a baby. He is going to grow up and he will, like verse seven, establish his kingdom and sit on his throne of David forever. He says he will rule forever. So this is looking ahead at the manger and ahead at the coming of the Lord Jesus and the cross and the resurrection, but it's also looking past that to Jesus' second coming uh, and and the establishment of his kingdom forever. So we have in view here Jesus' first advent, a word that means coming, and also his Second advent where the Bible says that Jesus will return to make all things new. This little phrase here in Isaiah 9 verse 6 is pointing to Jesus' power and authority over every enemy or over any threat that would ever rise up against him. Church, this shows us that Jesus not only knows and understands the difficulty of our circumstances, he not only knows what we need as a savior, but that he and he alone is the one with the power and the authority to actually do something about it. For to us a son is born, to us a child is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and he says, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. In these four names, 
that Isaiah prophesies about the coming Messiah, he's giving us insight into who Jesus is and what he actually came to accomplish for us. And so for the last few weeks, we've spent time talking about those first three names, but the rest of the time we have together this afternoon, I want us to consider what does it mean that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? What does it mean that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? Peace is an idea that is, it's incredibly popular in the world that we live in. And I probably shouldn't say this because it's going to be embarrassing, uh, but the first thing that popped in my mind, and I, don't, I can be embarrassed because my identity is in Christ, right? I don't have to care about what you think about me. Uh, no, the first thing that popped in my mind when I thought about this idea of peace was the comedy action classic from the year 2000 starring Sandra Bullock. It's a little movie, you may have heard of it, called Miss Congeniality. Anybody? Couple of us, not many, good, right? Let me just tell you, right? Incredible writing, plot line, amazing. Here's how it goes. Sandra Bullock, she's the lead in this movie and she's an FBI agent, but she has to pose and go undercover to, uh, in a beauty pageant, in the Miss United States pageant, right? Because there's, she's gotta prevent a bombing or something. I told you, the writing's incredible. I've, actually, I've never seen the movie, I don't really know. Um, so at one point, Here's why I'm telling you this, okay? Wasting your time on Christmas Eve. At one point in the movie, all the contestants are asked this question. What is the thing that our society most desperately needs? And what do they all answer? Anybody? World peace. World peace. Co- hey, see, you said you didn't watch the movie. And they're like, world peace. Um, they all say world peace. One after the other after the other, right? What is the thing that society most desperately needs? World peace. I would have to say world peace. And then it gets to Sandra Bullock's character and she says, I'd have to say harsher punishment for parole violators, Stan. <laughs> You know? Again, I've never seen the movie, though, I promise. Um, <laughs> peace is an idea that's super popular in our culture. Celebrities love to talk about it. People love posting about it. We dream about it. We spend our lives planning for it. We work all week and do all the things that we're supposed to do to get to the weekend so maybe we can have a little bit of peace. Or work hard so you have enough money to go on the next vacation or get, to, get you to the next tea time or whatever it is. But the thing about peace is even though it's so popular in our world, It's super elusive, isn't it? It's slippery. I've used this illustration before, but it's like a toddler, right? You set them down, they're gone. That's how peace is. It's hard to get your, like you think you got it for a moment and then it's gone, it's just momentary. I did a quick Google search on Friday of the top news stories in our world. Let me just read a couple of these to you. Motive sought for mass shooting in Prague that left more than a dozen dead. Violent online rhetoric heats up after Colorado ballot ruling on Trump. More rain to lash Southern California today as flood threat persists. UN Security Council to vote on Gaza aid as fears of famine and starvation mount. And I could keep going, but where's the peace there? And I get it, man. The people who write these articles and write the headlines, they, they understand how to get traffic and clicks, and so they write it a certain way and, and pick articles that, that press on us. But uh, peace is hard to find even in the most secure neighborhoods. This is not just distant, faraway news headlines, right? Even, even amongst people, you, folks like you in the room, from the outside looking in, it looks like you've arrived. It looks like you should have peace, and yet if many of us, what will we say about the peace in our own lives, right? What do we do as Christians with this promise in Isaiah chapter nine? that the the reign and rule of the Messiah would be one of peace, that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And if you're familiar with your Bible, you know this is not just a one-off 
It's not just, hey, 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah said he'd be the Prince of Peace. This is all through the Bible. We read it earlier, Luke chapter two, the angels announcing the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. He says, and suddenly there was with the angel this multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth what? Peace among those with whom he's pleased. So the declaration at the birth of Christ from the heavenly host is that God gets glory and the earth gets peace. John 14, Jesus speaking to his disciples the night before he dies on the cross. This is what he says to them. Hours before going to the cross to die for them in their sins or for their sins, he says, peace I leave with you, peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. So Jesus says, hours before the cross, he says, I got something the world doesn't have and I'm gonna give it to you. You know what it is? Peace. It's mine. It's different than what the world has. I possess a different type of peace and I'm going to give it to you. And then John 20, after he dies for our sins and after he's resurrected from the dead, the disciples are hiding for fear of their lives in a room with the lights down low and the Bible says that Jesus shows up in the room with them without opening the door. And you know what the first thing he says to them is? Peace be with you. John 20, verse 19 says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said this, peace be with you. When he said it, he showed him his hands and his side, proof that I have died in your place and res- resurrected. And disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. It's an understatement of the century, right? And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The first two things that come out of the mouth of the resurrected Jesus to this group of his closest friends is peace be with you and he repeats himself. And it doesn't stop there. The epistles, Philippians four, verse seven, the the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Colossians three, verse 15 says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you are called and be thankful. The word in Philippians 4 here, guard, is military language. It means to protect or to watch over. The word rule in Colossians 3 is similar. It means to direct or to control. And so the Bible says that as Christians, we're called to this. If you are a believer in Jesus, a follower of Christ, we are called to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. And then Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 9, in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is not about if you live your life at peace, then you'll be called son of God. He's saying, I will make you a son of God by grace through faith, you're reconciled to me and what will be true about you because I love you is you will be a peacemaker. So as the peace of Christ rules in our hearts, it says what should come out of our life is peace. Follow the storyline in the Bible here. Isaiah chapter nine, the prince of peace is coming. Luke two, the prince of peace is here. Glory to God in the highest. The gospels, the resurrected Jesus says, my peace I give you, the letters, the epistles, the peace of Christ will rule over your life. And then in the Beatitudes, as the peace does rule over your life, what should come out of you is peace. And I take the time to show you that because I need you to see that this is not a minor theme in the scriptures. The Bible says the the promise from God to you, if you are a Christian, is peace. Let me ask you this, how close does that promise feel to you today, honestly? How near does this promise from God of the Prince of Peace and my peace I give you, how near does that feel? How tangible does it feel to you today? Now I know it's Christmas Eve and we're all in church and everyone's dressed up nice, right? But as you look around in your life, 
the lives of, of others, people close to you, or even in the world, is it marked by a peace that surpasses understanding or by conflict and dysfunction? And, and as I answer that question, it sort of seems like God overpromised and underdelivered on the whole peace thing, doesn't it? It does. A couple weeks back, uh, Mary Elizabeth bought one of those uh, gingerbread house kits, you know? Um, and because of sickness, which is still lingering, and busyness, and it just sat on our counter, which means that my kids saw it a lot, which means that they asked us, when are we doing the gingerbread kit a lot, right? So the anticipation continued to build, and they're getting hyped on this thing. So finally, we sit down to do it. And I haven't looked at this box at all. I mean, I knew it existed on my table, but I didn't really look at it. So when I grabbed the box, I go to open it, I realized, hey, this isn't a gingerbread kit. This is a miniature gingerbread kit, all right? And so I got some kids who are from my gene pool, which means we got expectations. If you don't meet them, we get angry, okay? So I'm trying to curb expectations right off the bat and trying to like just make the best of it, just saying, hey guys, here's the thing. These are gonna be small, but so are you, right? You're small, they're small, it's gonna be awesome. So again, they keep asking. We open this box up and, and I open it up and it was, let me just tell you, completely underwhelming, okay? <laughs> completely underwhelming. Like when I say mini, it was mini, okay? I'm, I'm resisting the urge to do a, the Dr. Evil thing right here for all, any of my people. <laughs> I'm not gonna do it, I'm not gonna do it. It was mini and on top of that, about half of the pieces were broken, okay? And so we had a dilemma here. There's not enough icing to, to both decorate these houses and also use the icing to glue the pieces back together, you know? Um, and so in that moment, my, my wife and I make eye contact. We have, this, we have a decision to make. One of two things that we can do. We can throw that thing in the trash and just turn on Home Alone, okay? Different Christmas experience. We can go somewhere else for peace in that moment or we can make the best of it. Go in the pantry and find some icing, get it out and find some other candy and move. And that's what we did. We made the best of it. Here's why I tell you that. When I read the scriptures and I look at my life and the lives of the people around me, it kind of feels like God's promise of peace is like that gingerbread kid. It's underwhelming. It's like, did God lie? Did he overpromise and underdeliver on the whole thing? Like it's smaller than we thought, the pieces are broken. Like what are we supposed to do with this? And so we're left with the same two choices. Either let's go somewhere else all together for peace in this moment because that's not gonna work or we make the best of it. And neither one of those really feel like good options, does it? Right? And here's, the, here's the reality. If, if you hear anything I say tonight, be confident in this. God has never and will never overpromise and underdeliver. God has never and will never overpromise and underdeliver. I think many of our struggles is because we hold God responsible for not making good on promises that he never made to us, that the world made to us, but God never made them. The promise of peace in the scriptures to you is not a promise of ease. And yet that's what we think it is oftentimes. The promise of peace is not a promise of ease. Jesus says this, in this world you will have trouble. Not some of you might or some of you will. In this world, you, plural, all, you all will have trouble. If they hated me, they will hate you. The promise of peace is not a promise of ease. And yet, the narrative of our world is if you work hard enough, you can build the life you want. And if you work hard enough, you can protect the people who you care about from all the things that you're afraid that might happen to them. You can avoid pain. You can carve out the life that you've always wanted. The, the, story, the narrative in our world of peace is if you follow the plan, it works out. So you finish high school and you go to college. 
and then you meet somebody and you go, both of y'all get a job and you get a house and maybe you have kids and you get a little bit better job and a little bit better house and you just continue to accumulate and the older you get, the more you achieve, the more you accomplish, the easier life will be and the more peace you will have. You know the problem with that is? It makes absolutely zero room for what Jesus says in this world, you will have trouble. The problem with that plan for peace is it makes zero room for pain or loss or shame or a difficult season in your marriage or sickness or a difficult season in parenting or your career falling apart out of nowhere. It makes zero room for that. And so when we believe that God's promise of peace is one of ease, whenever things start to fall apart, we either turn that into an accusation against God, you overpromised and underdelivered to me, or we think that it's our fault. We must be doing something wrong. Because if we were doing it right, then we would get, our life would work out the way we want it to. And let me just say this, it's a sermon for a different day, but you might be doing something wrong. If you are walking in direct opposition to God's word and unrepentant sin, and you are experiencing the consequences of that sin, that is God's mercy and kindness to you, not his judgment on you. But you might just believe that doing the right things mean that your life should be easy. And God never promised you that. Alistair Begg, I read a quote from him this week. It says this, should be on the screen. Solomon lived the American dream long before there was an America, and he told us it was a dead-end street, but nobody wanted to believe that then, and frankly, nobody wants to believe it now. And if you know the story of King Solomon in the Bible, that should make sense, but if you don't, what this means is that a dream of a life full of stuff and ease, it can bring happiness to you in the moment, but it won't last. You know what will last? The peace that Jesus brings. Jesus, Jesus is the only source of peace that actually lasts. And honestly, it's not like the, the peace that Jesus brings lasts and everything else falls apart, but then you end up with something that you don't really want anymore, like a lot of those toys my kids are gonna open tomorrow, right? Well, I still got it, but I don't like it anymore. That's not what this is saying. The fact that Jesus brings peace that actually lasts means that it will always get better. When, when Christ returns to make all things new, listen to this, every moment that we experience will somehow be better than the one before. Every single moment that we experience in the new heavens and the new earth with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ Every single moment will somehow be better than the one before. And that's not me saying this, Isaiah 9 says this. Of the increase, verse seven, of his government and his peace, there will be, what's it say? No end. Ever expanding, always increasing joy and hope and love and peace in Christ for millennia after millennia after millennia. Which reminds me of Ephesians chapter two, verse seven, where it says, in the coming ages, the new heavens and the new earth, he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us where in Christ Jesus, every single moment will be somehow better than the one before for eternity. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the only source of peace that lasts for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Church, this is what Advent is. Jesus has come and he came, not as king, even though that is who he is. He came as a baby to to be a savior, to redeem a people to himself, to make a way for us broken sinners, to be brought back into relationship with God. You know how Colossians 1 says he makes peace? How? By the blood of his cross. 
that we are all in our sin enemies against God, but because of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ on our behalf, we are now made given right standing with God. We are at peace with him. Jesus has come, and the Bible says there's a day in the future where he will come again. And on that day, it will be clear that the government is upon his shoulder. On that day, it will be clear that the government is upon his shoulder, that the rule and the reign of all creation belongs to him and him alone. And we now, as Christians in 2023, we live between these two Advent proclamations. The first Advent proclamation, we read it earlier in Luke 2, was to say, Jesus has come. The Prince of Peace is here. That's the first one. The second Advent proclamation is Revelation 22, the end of the Bible, the second to last verse of the Bible where it says this, come Lord Jesus. So Jesus has come, but he has not yet come again. And church, the mistake we make is when we expect the reality of the kingdom before the return of the king. We, respect, we expect the reality of the kingdom before the return of the king, and as long as we live that way, peace will feel like it's further from us. But when you don't expect the reality of the kingdom before the return of the king, it's in the imperfection of the here and now where we can actually find peace where your heart and your mind is open to what the Bible teaches, that the evidence of pain and difficulty in your life is not proof that God has abandoned you. In fact, it's proof that God is with you, that he is moving and he is working in your life in and through pain and difficulty to mold you and to shape you into who you had no shot of becoming on your own. Isaiah says, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Maybe God's promise of peace feels unattainable to us because we want the peace that he brings, but we don't want the Prince. We would take a friend of peace or a politician of peace or a servant of peace because in those arrangements, we don't have to surrender control of our lives. But we don't want the prince of peace. The point is not only that Jesus is the source of peace that lasts, the point is this, that access to Jesus' peace only comes through surrender to him. Remember we read earlier in Colossians 3 verse 15 where it says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Again, that word rule means to direct or to control. The peace that Jesus brings is inseparable from his rule. And so, this is the language of surrender. It means that the, the peace that lasts will only come in your life when you plant yourself firmly under the reality that Jesus is king, that he is on the throne, and if he's on the throne, guess who's not? Me and you. The peace that, that God brings comes from surrender to Jesus. We plant ourselves firmly, firmly under the gracious rule and reign of King Jesus and we do whatever we can to align our lives with the way he says we should live it. Because you know, we have a hard time with kings. We've never lived under a kingdom. But you know what you don't say to a king? I appreciate those thoughts about marriage and sexuality, but I have my own thoughts on how life works best. I really appreciate your thought on how I should spend my time and spend my money and, and, and how I should parent. I appreciate all that king but I kind of think I know better than you. You don't do that. So we declare that Jesus is Lord. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the only source of peace that lasts and access to his peace comes through surrendering our lives to him. Let me just say this. Whether you are a Christian or not, whether you are a member of our church or not, if you want to experience the peace of God, you must know the God of peace. And if you want to know the God of peace, you must embrace his only begotten son because Jesus is the one who not only knows and understands what you're going through, 
He's the one who knows what you need and he's the only one who actually has the power and the authority to do something about it. Which means for us that you can lay down your attempts at running your life, two reasons. You can lay down your attempt at running your life for two reasons. One, he's better than you at it. And two, because your attempt at running your own life will never produce the harvest of righteousness that you want it to, the harvest of peace that you want it to. Jesus is king. It means you don't have to self-protect or worry that God's plan for your life or the plan for those closest to you is consistent enough with what you want it to be. You don't have to hedge your bets because let me tell you, like I said before, God has not and will never overpromise and underdeliver. Church, Jesus has come, amen? And he will come again. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing and respond. Father, I'm thankful for your grace and your mercy. I thank you that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. That it's not up to us to do enough or be enough to create a life that is meaningful or that matters, but that you have done that work for us. And I pray, even now, I know we're antsy to, to get on to whatever we have tonight for Christmas Eve, but I pray in this moment that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would minister to the folks in this room, that you would reveal to them the, the things and the people that they are looking to to be their source of peace in this life. And God, that you would give them the courage to trust you and to surrender all of their lives to you Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.